0: Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen Hinson, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Wagnon. Boker Tov. I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) Say what? Boker Tov is Hebrew for good morning. Ah, good morning. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, because today we're going to be talking about Old Testament reliability. Hope y'all enjoy. Today, we are going to talk about Old Testament textual reliability. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like and you guys party. are probably like wait a second i'm gonna hit next on this podcast but hang with us because it's totally awesome and uh we are excited to have in the studio with us today dr scott booth yep. he is the old testament expert at the pillar seminary in omaha nebraska and actually has uh, a podcast of his own called the pillar podcast so would encourage you guys to check that out but scott thanks for being with us man no problem
1: <laughs> are you nervous scott so catchy. no no
0: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say it with authority
1: oh that's funny uh no the stuff we're gonna talk about today can sometimes get churchy folks all riled up yeah on yeah. one side or the other which is dumb
0: which i'm like yeah oh, let's, I mean,
1: do <laughs> <laughs> right. so let's do it right let's <laughs> do it
0: Let's blow up everybody's assumptions. Anyway, to that point, I think probably most people who are listening to this, if maybe not all of them, have not really thought critically about, like, where did we get the Old Testament? How did it come to us? And so there's these questions that people might have about, like, uh, as an apologist here at Watermark, a lot of times I get questions about the reliability of scripture. And typically the answer to that is, oh, well, it's it was written over this period. There's one uniting theme about it. And so you should just trust it. But then when you start digging into it, then you're like, wait a minute, why can we trust that? Sure. I mean, because... This text is making some pretty fantastic claims. Right. And so, when you start to think about when was it written, how was it written, who wrote it, how can we know that those people weren't just a bunch of crazy loons that are passing us down this crazy text mm-hmm. where axe heads are floating and stuff like that, you know? That's or, awesome story. So, when you come to the reliability of the Old Testament, this can be, even for me as a seminary student, I mean, granted, I was a New Testament guy, but the Old Testament seemed like it was this really foreign thing Yeah, you weren't over a pillar. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but pillar's only been around for like, what, five years? So anyway, what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is just have this conversation to put in general, how do we know that when we're reading the Old Testament, that this is a reliable text, which I mean, the main question is, how do we know that what we have now is what they wrote then? That's a pretty fundamental question in all of yeah. this. Yeah. And uh, and so I just want to explore that. And I think our audience over the next couple of weeks, probably we're going to talk about some things that you've never thought about before. And it's probably going to raise questions that you didn't even know that you needed to ask. But that's a good thing. And we're going to wrestle through this and hopefully provide some clarity for people at the end. So I think a good place to start in all of this is the Old Testament happened in a time in a place. Yep. It's not like it happened in a vacuum. There was a lot of things that were going on right in the ancient world at the time. So you've got Genesis one to eleven and then you've got in Genesis 12, you have the introduction of this guy named Abram, who's Abraham. Yeah. yeah. And he's from Sumer and comes out of Ur and what in the heck is that? And how do we know that? And there's just a lot of questions there. But when we're tracing this back, I mean, some of the fundamental questions are, where did these stories come from? Were they transmitted orally? When did they start to be written down? Were they written down and then they were transmitted? Like, what, what do we know and how do we know it?
1: Okay. So, start with, if we just start with Abram, right? Because that's where, let's forget Genesis 1 to 11 for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll deal with that later. But with Abram, you've got like stories of folks on the ground, life stories, mm-hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you locate these guys, we'll call them, like for ease you say 2000 BC, but I think it's slightly later than that. So I'll say 1800 BC or so, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're back then. Yeah, really old. So how do they transmit these stories or are they just more fables or you know family stories? So one option is that they're oral and that they're written down at some point in the history of Israel. Uh, theories abound up till… 500 BC, so like 1500 years later, people are finally writing these stories down and they're largely just ideological stories uh, to get you to believe a certain way.
0: Which is a certain theory. Yep. But there are a bunch of different theories. There are other ways to go. Yep.
1: So in that case, you could say the stories had been passed down orally, that's one option, or that they were just invented. On the other side of the argument, there is actually a bunch of really cool new information. So we know and have known for a long time that writing's been around just for donkey's years, like pre-3000 BC. So more than 1,000 years, 1,500 years before Abram, folks were writing stuff down in a very rudimentary level. At, they call them ideograms, whereas these signs that they would write something down that correlate to the picture, right? Like they want to draw sheep, and that means the word for sheep. And they're economic type texts and counting cattle and things like that.
0: And that happened in like the area of Sumer, which yeah. is like modern day Iraq.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then that turns into a fully developed writing system, right?
0: So think like, uh, so you have ideograms and pictograms.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which is like the, if, when you're driving to the airport, you see the sign that has an airplane on it. And it's like, oh,
1: exit here. The way the writing system develops is you, you want to write the word for a greeting, right? Like greetings, so-and-so is writing you a letter. You would like draw like a dude waving his hand. Got it. Right? Yep. And he's like, hey, right? <laughs> or hi, right? Yeah. Well, then the way the writing system's developed is that that word hi, that that sign for a greeting also turns into the sound hi, right, H-I. Mm-hmm. And then you would just add another sign like T for hit, mm-hmm. right? Does that make sense? So it's both a greeting sign and now the sound that that greeting makes. Yeah. And this is how the language kind of developed. And we actually know that they're thinking about it this way because very early on, they're making lists of all the different sounds that their language makes. Mm. They'll be like ma, me, moo, kaki. Like they'll go through and make these uh, their phonetic list. Right. So they're thinking about language. Egyptian stuff is a, a very similar path, although there's not the same evidence that they're writing those same kinds of lists that they were in uh, Sumer. Yeah. Okay. So that's how we know that writing is r- around. That early 1500 years, just call it 1500 years, for which is time.
0: interesting because you're talking about like a pictogram, somebody's waving, yeah, and then now 5000 years later, we've come full circle and now we're communicating through emojis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. We're back. And when my wife sends me emojis, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> what are you trying to what? say to me? <laughs> and I don't even know how to ask you i I'm get in trouble. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't
0: know if we've developed or if we've just like reverted back to, you yeah, know. Yeah,
1: I struggle with those faces too. Like some of them feel I'm like I'm like is it happy or sad? Yeah, I might yeah, have yeah. to do I don't with know, my yeah. Inability to read human emotions. Anyway, um okay. So that's around for a long time, and they're they're writing full-blown literature. By the time of Abraham, uh, actually hundreds and hundreds of years before Abram, you're getting awesome literature going on here. Flood stories, creation stories, really cool stuff happening. So it was once thought that the alphabet wasn't around. The Hebrew Bible itself is in an alphabet. It's in mm-hmm. the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. And it was once thought that that alphabet didn't occur until about, Almost a thousand years after Abram, 800 to a thousand years after Abram. And then it was like, well, okay, maybe it's 700 years after. Okay, five. All right, two. And like, so we keep finding earlier and earlier sources yeah, yeah. of an alphabet. And an alphabet is super useful and really neat because it is a very efficient form of writing. You still need training to do it, but it also corresponds well with their own language. So, the stuff I mentioned earlier where they're doing the high end stuff develops for like a language as foreign to Hebrew as English is to Korean. Just very, very different language. So the alphabet's super neat because it works for the language family that uh, Hebrew is. Like it's, it, it matches up well. Even our own alphabet actually doesn't match up well to a lot of the things we say. Like we say like an SH sound. We have to use two letters. What is sh equal sh? Like it doesn't. We just made it up. Or th is th or th, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, in order to create the alphabet, someone thought about all those sounds, and then created it. And said, so "This is
0: this symbol is right. the sound like in like the uh, in Hebrew sh and s has or two different characters. That's right, That's right. sheen and seen.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. So. Yeah, it's super complicated, really fun stuff and the harder you push on it, the the more fun it gets yeah. for anybody really interested <laughs> in semitics. <laughs> um, anyway, there's more involved to it. There's also a writing, how you're writing. Mm. Okay. So, if you're writing in clay tablets. I don't know if you've ever tried to take like a piece of play-doh and try to like write your name in the play-doh yeah, like it's yeah. all screwed up. Yeah. Because it's it's not the alphabet's not good for that. The wedges are, the wedges that you depress, right? So a three-dimensional writing, cuneiform is fantastic. Yeah, That's the wedges and stuff. If you're writing on paper, the wedges are obnoxious to try to draw out. In fact, an alphabet's really nice. If you have papyrus and ink, an alphabet is really helpful. And papyrus
0: is a type of ancient paper
1: they would use. yeah. Yeah, so the alphabet and the origins of it are really interesting because it's clear that someone had put a lot of thought into it, being able to figure out what letters do I use to represent my language. That's someone who's done some linguistic thinking. Mm. Interestingly though, the very first stuff that shows up is graffiti. Mm. Like That's not like your highfalutin <laughs> literary stuff. That's like Jimmy was here, right? <laughs> like, oh no, mom's coming. I got a quick, you know, and they're doing it in stone. Like it's really interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we know we can now push the alphabet back to the time of Abram. Mm. And uh, part of the reason that's really interesting is if you guys go pick up and read Genesis, start at Genesis 12. You read Genesis 12, you read Genesis 13, it's fine. When you hit Genesis 14, it feels weird. It's a list of kings and it's a battle story. Yeah. But you'll feel it be different. And it feels like such a standard battle story to me that it feels like there's a record of it. And that would trigger in. In the world I work in, they're like, yeah, well, how are they going to have a record for that? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's no alphabet. Well, now we know there's no alphabet. But the trick is it would have had to have been recorded on papyrus and passed down. We know that they're writing on papyrus at least much later. So anyway, this whole thing it's really neat, such that now we know it is entirely possible that the alphabet was pretty well fully developed. Uh, well, we know it's fully developed by the time of Abram which is bonkers.
0: Yeah. So you have pictograms and ideograms. Then when you're writing in clay, you start to use these wedges because you can't write a script on a clay tablet. That's really you know, yeah, like impossible. Yeah. yeah. So instead you're doing impressions of wedges, which is called cuneiform yeah 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 where did cuneiform develop out of was that, that same
1: sumerian stuff the very early stuff they would actually do it in those tablets got it and they would just make it it looked like the word for head just looked like they had just wedged in a big uh, giant a head. head yeah right and then later on it gets stylized and more abstract and, and then everybody else starts thinking hey like the nice thing about putting stuff in clay is it lasts as long yeah, as it's really durable lasts, yep right so if you just set it in an oven and now it will last forever so everyone starts using this, from the Sumerians and the, basically the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Hittites. Everybody's using this, Which is awesome because we still have them. Yeah, and we yeah. still have them. Yeah. And, and sometime kind of around the time of Moses, other people, and not just Ugarit, but there's a bunch of them, are starting to take the principle of the alphabet and turn it into cuneiform Mm. because they're trying to figure out how to make essentially the 3D version. How do you make it last in clay? Because with papyrus, you've got to buy multiple things. You've got preservation issues. You could do it in leather or wax, but again, you have preservation issues, especially in wet climates. So an alphabetic cuneiform Meaning, you, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, really yeah, yeah. You're using
0: wedges, but you're making characters.
1: Yeah, so all yeah. this stuff is out there. and
0: So instead of doing a guy's head, there's now a character or a series of characters that means head. Yeah, yeah. But you're doing it using wedges. Yep. And yep.
1: then you take that and you reduce that further to just the R sound. Right. Rather than, I mean, yeah. So anyway, there's a long development of it. And very, very clever people. Are working. It seems as early as 2000 BC. The it's called the Wadi al Hol inscription is the earliest one. It's found by the Nile. It, it's so funny because if you go and read on this stuff, it'll be like, "Well, look, it's graffiti, so it's, no one was trained." Mm. But linguistically, it's real clever.
0: Yeah, which suggests really smart people did this, but it was really common, which means people are literate
1: possibly. So, and remember the alphabet, you don't use it to write in permanent things. You use it to write on papyrus or paper, basically, which goes away. So, when did it start? Yeah. If it's a writing style or writing uh, technology that's for impermanent stuff, like it's really hard to know exactly when it began, when it was used, and then further complicating it, Abram is a shepherd. He's not a city folk, he's not trained as a scribe. Right, So, you're having to make theories about... Is he writing this down? Is he writing this down? Does someone else write this down? Are they telling stories? So, the writing does seem to be constrained, at least early on, to scribal stuff. Mm -hmm. Later on, much later, there's evidence that it was not, that people would would say stuff like, what do you mean I can't read? Mm -hmm. There's tablets from... Look, he's mad. (laughs) He's like, don't you say I can't read a tablet. I can read a tablet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But not a tablet. Uh, You can read the alphabet at that point. They would write ink on the side of broken pottery and things and use it for letters. So we know that a thousand years after Abram, so we're still before the fall of Judah and stuff, uh, at least upper echelons of society, which Abram was, could claim to read and write. Yeah, We know that there's writing in the book of Judges, writing in the dirt. Mm-hmm. We know that somebody's writing on plaster in Joshua. We know there's writing in Moses' time because Moses is also very like, well, we know he was adopted, very well, likely trained in an ambassador school. Uh, So he would be literate in a bunch of different things. Yeah. Um, He was an elite. He was an elite. And so. You should know Abram was also an elite, but not an elite of the same type. Right, right. So he was an elite nomad. Semi nomad, right? <laughs> yeah, semi nomad. Right. So, but the trick is our best window into semi nomads is the Bible. Mm. And so to know their culture, yeah. it's really the, so if I'm just approaching this anthropologically, there's a lot. I know people are writing, I know scribally trained. We're now learning that there's an alphabet very early. We don't understand or know the significance of it. Part of it's just a function of that technology is not preservable. And there's a whole bunch of questions that remain. However, the position that there is some written record of early ancestors is not impossible. Mm -hmm. It is, I think, if you're going to be uh, completely honest with it, I think you would still say the data doesn't make it probable yet. I would say that it's still improbable to data, but that doesn't that shouldn't bother you too much, uh, because you still have one oral tradition, which anthropologically spans the gamut of exceptionally reliable and exceptionally unreliable, mm-hmm. which puts you in the same position you were anyway. Yeah, right. I mean, 15 years ago, we had a very different opinion about what the alphabet was. So we're just be, learning. So be patient. New stuff. Yeah. Be, this is stuff you can leave as wet cement and say, "I don't really know on some of these earliest mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. how it happens," and that's okay. The data is still coming in on this. Yep. If you really want scientific explanation of how this stuff came about, the very early stuff, anyway, stand by, stand by. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but there's enough information to say we're not in crazy town. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the yeah.
0: alphabet existed. Yep. It was very efficient because the yes. oral sounds match the symbols that they were using. Yes. And now it's probable that Abraham could have been writing it down. Is that what I hear you saying?
1: I would put it on I would put it on a blip of possible.
0: It is possible that is Abraham possible, was writing it down.
1: But be careful. Like, but
0: don't quote any of us on that. No, like yeah.
1: <laughs> you, you just have to say A very hard skeptic would grant you a possibility. Okay, Mm that's great. Because there's so much going on, the typical scribe, typically for someone to read and write, they have to be of upper echelons of a city, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're a wealthy city dweller, Yep. and it's passed down even within the family, you'll have a scribal family, right?
0: Which, I mean, Abraham was from. An urban center.
1: He was, but he's a shepherd. Right. So, he's not an urban elite, but he is an an elite among these semi-nomads. He's almost a traveling sheik at this point, right? So, we just don't know that world. And so, to even biblically, as as Christians, to postulate an anthropological model Mm -hmm. that could come crashing down and make the Bible look very stupid, don't Mm -hmm. do it. Just say, I don't know right now, but data is coming in
0: is okay. Yep. You don't have to.
1: No, it'll come in. Yep. Yeah, it's a, look, if, if your God is God, then he's the God of all data, and yep. chill out and yep.
0: wait. <laughs> totally. I love it. So, one, one thing I want to say about the alphabet is you go from pictograms and ideograms, which there was between like six and seven, maybe even 800 of these things, yep. uh, symbols, and then you get to anywhere between 22 and 30 character alphabets. Yep. And... Somebody might be like, well, dang, man, you went from like 700 of these down to like 22 or, or 26 or 30. And what the alphabet did is it instead of a symbol, you had characters and the possible combination of these characters is like infinite now. Yeah. And now you can go from just looking at a picture, which is very limited in the type of kind of semantic range that that could have. Now you have the ability to communicate a lot more information through an alphabet than you were just looking at a picture. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. So a few things there. That 6700 that you're talking about, not all of those are ideograms. At that point, you've moved or pictograms, you've moved to um, like the high rep thing I, I did earlier. You have a hi, he, who, mm-hmm. right? So you have signs for that stuff and you'll have ni, na, nu or ti, ta, tattoo and like all these like so each one of those would be a different sign that you'd have to memorize in order to read and write and those would also have multiple functions right like it could be this one word for it's or is would be is one of the sounds it can mean that sound but it can also mean following word is made of wood it's like like it's a wood table yeah right like something like that so it's a lot of different that's a very complex system right and it will work for just about any language, but there's a bunch of sounds it doesn't have. It's written for kind of the Babylon world, which is Iraq. And it, there's a bunch of other sounds in the Israel-Lebanon world. So the alphabet does those, but instead of just having a different sign for ni, na, nu, ne, ni, right? Or na, any of those sounds, mm-hmm. it just goes mm. just has the n sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you rely on the reader to figure out what vowels fill it, it in. That's right, and then you could take that and any language that has any of those sounds can use it. So you can spread it to Greece, and they'll use it, and it will become the Greek alphabet with mm-hmm. certain modifications. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it makes things easier. It is a jump at this stage to move from there to full literacy. Yep, mm-hmm. right. There is there are indications in the Bible and some elsewhere that there was possibly some higher literacy levels. Mm-hmm but it is a it is a leap to say everyone could read and write. yeah yeah
0: but the alphabet was versatile enough for obviously elites that had access to this but also would eventually trickle down yeah. to
1: i think literacy was much like so there's a big debate in old testament ancient year eastern studies. how high was literacy around mm-hmm. the alphabet i lean on the higher side yep. some people lean on the lower side and it's difficult to know because for example the alphabet existed in medieval Europe mm-hmm. and most people couldn't read and write and so it's not hard, right? So why couldn't something happen back then? Exactly. But the other thing you can say back to that is yeah, you're bringing your cultural bias of medieval Europe mm-hmm. to give you an impression of how literate people were. This isn't medieval Europe. So I, and right now we don't have enough info because again, it's a perishable writing technology. Karen, you want to summarize?
0: Yeah, like, us <laughs> get out of the week There was an alphabet. There you go. <laughs> I think is right. what we just spent the last 20 minutes
1: on. Guys, we just, we just geeked out so hard. That was awesome. That was awesome.
0: Awesome. I'm so glad that I tracked with you.
1: Awesome. Yeah, yeah There good. was an alphabet. It is, it is.
0: Some people might have possibly been able to right. use it.
1: So, there you go.
0: See, yeah. done. You are welcome. But
1: there's all the data to sort through, meaning where do we have this Abraham stuff? Is it reliable? Yeah, and, so and that's why we care. Is, the answer is very possibly, yes. If you are even approaching this as just, raw data, you're not a believer, now given yeah, from a totally data,
0: skeptical standpoint. Right, yeah.
1: you, or even a non-concerned, right? Yep, yeah, 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 Here's all the data on the table. You have to now say, given the current information, okay, I guess not totally impossible.
0: Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you like what you heard, then subscribe. You should definitely tell your friends about it. And leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes if you want. You can also email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Karen loves your emails. So send them in. Peace. Bye.